You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What is going on after one week off? We are back for another edition of Doc Jock alongside Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. What's going on, Doc? A lot's going on, Greg. It's uh, been like two weeks. Uh, I was over in the Holy Land, and when I was traveling back or over the last week, I was thinking about how sports just continues to be like the greatest reality show of all time, keeping uh, people like you and I guessing, talking, getting things wrong, getting things right, and thinking about some of the things that you and I have discussed that may not have been right. We announced that defense was dead, and then the Dallas Cowboys go out and Old the New Orleans Saints in a defensive game. Last night, we see the Bears uh, limit Jared Goff, and he throws four interceptions. Got those wrong. We, 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 we criticized the, the Dallas Cowboys for going out and, and getting Amari Cooper. So he went out and, you know, I hope we could be this good for the teams we root for. Catches three things. But one thing we got absolutely right is that there'd be no Urban Meyer in Ohio State next. Yeah, we saw that coming. Obviously, that took place late last week. Urban Meyer gone from Ohio State. Uh, health issues, so he claims. Okay. But nevertheless, he's gone. And that's what matters the most here, Doc, that Urban Meyer uh, no longer to be the head coach at Ohio State University, which means they, are, they promote their offense coordinator, Ryan Day, one of the, probably the biggest coaching change uh, that we've seen thus far. Maryland hires their new head coach, and, my, and uh, Mike Loxley, who was the interim head coach just a few years ago. Um, but the carousel is turning in college football. It, it certainly is, is. And what was really interesting is I read an article about Ryan Day that he— from exactly the same hometown in high school is is Chip Kelly, and there are three head three head coaches. I saw that from from Manchester, New Hampshire. The only time you ever hear of hotbed. Well, usually you only hear about it in the political primaries. I think Cory Booker's <laughs> up there <laughs> right you know, now. Right now, uh, going going there. And the other thing that is just absolutely, you know, we've said that. Belichick is an absolute standard of excellence. And yes. what the New England Patriots have accomplished is unbelievable. Ten straight wins during mm-hmm. his whole tenure there. You know, the five Super Bowl wins. And it, it shows how difficult it is when you're on stage all the time, when you watch the end of that Miami-New England game. Could you imagine if Ben McAdoo put like a giant tight end, Red Ellison, 70 yards from the line of scrimmage, against the quarterback that you know couldn't reach the end zone, what we'd be screaming. And could you imagine if, if, if they didn't get a field, goal, uh, off, a field goal off at the end of the half, what we'd be saying? About- That's some of the worst coaching I've ever seen Bill Belichick do in my life. Ever. Um, ever. It, it, it was just my... Like, I was watching Red Zone when yeah. that happened. Mm-hmm. and So was I. And... Almost the way he set it up, you knew it was going to happen. Like, because I guess you know, there's a delay on red zone. He, you know, he said, and it looked like New England was going to win. And then you saw Gronk there, and you said, "Oh my God, he's going to get the corner of the end zone." And my immediate reaction was, "It was seventy yards away. I can understand putting right. him on for, for Hail Mary pass, sure. but but it made absolutely no sense. And it just goes to show how hard it is." When so many things happen so fast, and you know now we people like you and I we have 
hours to contemplate what we're going to say. Sure. And, and, and it's, it's really, really a tough business when you're on stage all the time. No, I agree with that. But that decision to put in Rob Gronkowski instead of Devin McCourty, the safety back there, when they were 65 yards away, something Ryan Tannehill just cannot reach, was a mind-boggling bad decision. Uh, Brady getting sacked at the end of the half, a mind-boggling bad decision from guys that have just been there before over and over and over again. Doc, we've, I don't like living in the moment so much, but what we have seen here yesterday, that end of that game, the laterals, Kenny and Drake, the circumstance, circumstance was that one of the craziest wildest endings you have ever seen yeah and then three hours later you you're watching uh smith schuster run do it again do it again and you know both players had one thing in in common which is the lateral person on the sideline rather than keeping containment in that issue went to make the tackle and you, you you know in, 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 what I give Pittsburgh credit for is they did it on the first play. I've right. always felt that that was smarter than to wait for your last play when everybody's expecting it. Not that you shouldn't have been expecting Smith Schuster to do, you know, to be running, running right around. But how these teams, there were only two, that's the only play people would run. I, I've always thought that what they should do is run that and throw the ball across the field, which is extremely high risk, but at least reverse the play. Sure. To do that, um, I think the last time I saw that done was Tennessee. in Houston. Yeah. yeah, was it Houston or was it Tennessee already? I think well, it was Houston. Or it was, was it was Tennessee, the Music City Tennessee, Miracle. But, oh, okay, but against Buffalo. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. m- years ago, to to reverse the field, but to me, it was unbelievable how. And I think what's happened is they practice against the Hail Mary, but they all lost their containment on the lateral edge on 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 these plays, and so it was. It was amazing, but it seems like more of these. I remember the Stanford band play, of course, yeah. years years ago. But and, and then, of course, you remember the Doug Flutie play, sure. Okay, but they seem to be more of them. There was the Giants against Green Bay. There's been Aaron Rodgers seems to be it seems to be Hail like, Mary, yeah. You know, common in his his uh, his somehow. Thing. But all of a sudden, Bill Belichick thought that uh, you know Pat Mahomes plus was Ryan Tannehill. Something like that. Something like that. And Pat Mahomes yesterday did his own miraculous play, throwing across his body. When he, a no, he, not only did he throw a no-look pass at one point yesterday. That was a great game. But a fourth down, he throws across his body, somehow finds Tyreek Hill, amazingly enough. And it was a fantastic game. Two really good teams in the AFC. What do you think of Lamar Jackson? I don't know if it's sustainable. That's my, that's my impression of Lamar Jackson. Not to compare it to RG3 just because they're on the same team. But these are two guys that primarily rely on their legs. They don't have strong arms, but the accuracy is obviously a question mark. And I don't know if he can take hit after hit after hit that he's been taking. Uh, I don't know that over the long term this will work. And to me, it seems one of those things that could work over a six-game span like we're seeing here at the end of well, the season. for Tebow, who nearly have the explosiveness of either of those two guys. Absolutely not. But did it work long term for Tim Tebow? Well, the truth of the matter is with Tim Tebow, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. We all believe that it couldn't work long term. Right. Okay? We never got the opportunity. But Tim Tebow, the winning you can be, uh-huh. you know, I, I feel bad for Tim Tebow. I really, and which is really amazing because Tim Tebow can fill up a room. And sure. He's one of the most popular people in the world. Yeah. But Tim Tebow is probably the only person that's last starting game, you know, well, second to last because he got killed in New England, was a winning performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers when he threw in overtime against 
Denver. Yeah. Okay. And you, you know, you, you've seen people like Arizona and by the way, um, if there was anybody, anything that helped Colin Kaepernick's lawsuit, mm-hmm. it had to be watching Mark Sanchez yeah. play for the first uh, 30 minutes Josh, of that jo- game. Josh Johnson has since come out and said, in order to learn his teammates' names, he started he was playing Madden. And he's just finding out their, their numbers and corresponding players. Like, it, it, it's, it's remarkable. It's really remarkable, the Colin Kaepernick thing. I don't really want to get into it because it's just annoying at this point. But it's like, you cannot tell me that, that he, he's not better. Than Mark Sanchez. You can't do it. Of course. But, you know, it brings up another thing that happened while I was away, which was the terrible story about Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Oh okay. I can't believe you were away for that one. Uh, uh, you know, or. Time flies. Time flies. Uh, and, and, and breaking. And, and, you know, my one comment about, you know, it's absolutely terrible that this is happening. And this is a major issue in our society. Sure. I, I can't condone. But the one thing, when you look at Colin Chapinick, and I'm going to say something very, very controversial. Okay. The NFL really doesn't care about domestic violence. Absolutely. They not. only care about the perception that they don't care about domestic violence. I don't think that's controversial. I think it's correct, Doc. Okay. So it, it, it's, it's like, it's so BS. I mean, and, and, and Washington goes out and claims Reuben Foster. And listen, I think that there's two attitudes that you can take. And I only ask for consistency. Sure. One attitude is that we're not the justice system, right? Okay, mm-hmm. and if you're not in jail mm-hmm. and you're not you're not you know behind bars and you haven't haven't been arrested, you deserve a right to make a living. Right. And until that's done, we're going to employ you. Like Craig Cotton sat in 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 in, in this chair, and, and and I think that's absolutely fine. And that's the surface of the justice. It's really interesting you say that. Okay, for a second, I was uh, with my fiance's family over the weekend, and I was talking to her dad about Kareem Hunt, and her dad's like. Well, why would the team cut him? I go, well, what do you mean? He did this thing. He's like, they can't earn a living? Because, I mean, he did this horrible thing, and the, um, the authority should do what they wish and press charges and whatnot, and that's fine. But he, he lost his living because of that? And, and, and it's a horrible thing. No one's doubting that, but it was very interesting. Yeah, and, and, and I think there's some credence to that, because, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate on Please, that. Please, go right because, ahead. Yeah, because, yeah. Because we go on. Or the second thing is the same thing as practicing medicine, because that's not entirely true. There are certain things in your life that it's a privilege to do. Right. Okay. And you can certainly take the attitude that playing in the NFL is a privilege. And in order to have that privilege, you have to answer to a higher standard. And these are the standards. Okay. And I have no, no, no problem. Right. But the truth of the matter is, it's the same conversation that we had about talking about the NCAA basketball things. They don't really care about players being paid. They care about ESPN doing a story on players being paid and looking bad. And they're just a weather vane in society. And I think that the NFL has to take one or two different viewpoints. It's a privilege to play football. Therefore, you know, for example, you lose your medical license if you're charged with a felony. Okay? You go in front of the state hearing board because, again, you have to answer to a higher standard. So one of the two, if you're a pilot, same thing happens. You get one DWI, okay? You, don't, you can't go back. That's obviously different for different jobs. If the NFL wants to have that, it has to be consistent across the board privilege. The second thing is, I'm not trying to condone anything that Kareem Hunt or any of these people do, but if you take away the thing that they do well, is society better off? What do you think happens to people that get ostracized? They get angry. They get upset. And they hurt more people. Aren't we better off having some degree of rehabilitative process 
than everybody jumping on the bandwagon and criticizing people. And it's terrible. But realize that, you know, I feel very, 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 very fortunate. I grew up in a loving home with two parents, three siblings. I don't think many people in the NFL, not, you know, certainly, there's certainly 20 to 30% that can't say that. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. And I understand where you're coming from. But I'll also say this. It is a privilege to play in the NFL. It's a privilege to work here. It's a privilege to do what you do uh, in, your, in, your daylight, in your daytime job, of course. And if you were arrested for something so horrible, like should you not be allowed to work, I don't, I don't necessarily agree. And I, and I just said that. But in the NFL, where you are in front of millions of people, people and fans every single day, you have a big eye on you. You don't, ha- you don't have to be a role model. I understand the concept of it, right? Like, it's not, um, no one's forcing you to do that, but you naturally are. People look up to you. When you are making that kind of money, to be able to go, and I don't, I don't, in all honesty, I don't care your background. I don't care how hard it was for you at that moment. It's right and it's wrong. So for us not to turn a blind eye, because no one's turning a blind eye, but to us just be say, all right, well, you know what? It's not our problem, really. It's, it's the authority. You still have a right to make your millions and millions and millions of dollars to do this. There's something that doesn't feel right about that to me. And that's ultimately the issue. We're right, Doc. The NFL does not care about domestic violence. They spent more money finding out and interviewing scientists and doctors and Patriots team employees, uh, deflating a football to, uh, you know, less than a pH level, right? Then they did finding this tape that TMZ found which, or paid for. Which was one of the most fascinating stories. So fascinating. When, when, because when I first heard that story... Mm-hmm. I thought this was like the schoolyard, okay? You and I played basketball. We're yep. playing with the same basketball. So yes. if it's a little dead or a little overinflated, who it cares? Is. I had no idea until the Tom Brady story, right. okay, that each quarterback could custom design their football. Sure. And they had the trainer putting it in the refrigerator. Uh-huh. And, and Manning likes it this way and that, that likes yeah, it yep, that yep, way. Yep, yep, yep. To me... The NFL should take a goddamn ball, and, and everybody plays with the same it seems ball. seems so simple. Okay? So simple. Okay? You know, that the kicker has the kicker ball. Right. And, and, you know, when I heard that, you know, when I first thought they had doctored the balls, I uh-huh. thought it was like baseball, and I, they right. were bringing Gaylord right. Perry back. Right. Okay? Yep. When, when, when I heard they were doctoring the balls and that it's legal to doctor the balls, and everybody doctors the balls, but Correct. maybe they doctored the ball a little bit too much. I thought this was the most ridiculous story I ever heard. Ever. Did you ever know before then? There were a few things that I learned. Number one, do you know that men and women play with different balls at the U.S. Open? At the U.S. In tennis? Yeah. No. Yeah, there's, there's very slight differences between the balls between men's and women's I tennis. did never know that. Never okay? knew that. And to the same day. thing, true. I thought that, that, I thought that you know, Mark Sanchez was throwing the same ball as Tom Brady. You know, sure. I, I had no idea that this was, maybe that's the problem with Mark Sanchez. He doesn't have a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he doesn't know how to doctor it right. Exactly. Maybe I have to take a little more air out of there it. There you go. Yeah. Put more but, in it or something. But, but it's like if I'm Colin Kaepernick's lawyer, I'm just recording this. I'm, here's my opening statement, okay? Uh-huh. My opening statement is the first 15 minutes of the Giant game right there, yeah. okay? And let me say, if my guy, my, if my guy my is guy's not, not better, better than this, this, okay, if my guy's not better than this, if this doesn't prove conspiracy, yeah, 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 yeah. because my guy was the best running quarterback. He's a better running quarterback than Josh Johnson. You right. know, and, and Josh Johnson ran around just And their excuse was we couldn't do the scheme in time. Well, Josh Johnson runs the same scheme. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but whatever. 
I, I mean, it, it just it's just beginning to fall on empty ears. Mm-hmm. And, and that was actually now I can certainly understand certain teams not bringing in Colin Kaepernick. Sure. And we were going there with Tim Tebow. And what I said, I feel sorry for Tim Tebow is that I felt that Tim Tebow was probably a better football player than other people who played in the NFL. However, I think that there was a concern that he wasn't good enough to have all of the media attention okay. going around with him. Right. So, in, in other words, I'll put up with that media attention for Tom Brady. I'll put up with that media attention for LeBron James. I'm not going to be putting up with that type of media attention for my backup quarterback. And this, that was always the thing with Colin Kaepernick as well, not just Tim Tebow. Okay. Now, so I can certainly understand you're out of the playoffs. You don't want that media circus. Yeah. Washington was right there. Okay. They had a up very this weekend. Up, they had a very, 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 very bad break. You know, if there was ever a time to throw a wild card and take a chance of having him run around and cause chaos, especially against the giant defense that hates running quarterbacks, that would have been the time rather than Mark Sanchez. There's nobody that's watched the NFL that believes that Mark Sanchez would have given them a better chance to win than Colin Kaepernick. Here's all you need to know about the Washington organization. They took a chance on Reuben Foster days after he had a domestic violence dispute that threw him in prison. Days after that, they claimed him on waivers, and their general manager, Doug Williams, comes out and says, in the grand scheme of things, is that big of a deal? They, didn't, they signed him, who immediately went on the commissioner exempt list, rather than Colin Kaepernick, who was eligible to play immediately, that could help them in a position of need immediately. There's no bigger and more and important position. Never did anything wrong except speak his mind. Correct. Correct. At a position where you lost your top two on the death chart, the most important position on the field. He's not going to cost you anything. He goes right into the starter. It's worth it if Washington makes the playoffs. The story becomes Colin Kaepernick led you to the playoffs. It's not Colin Kaepernick, Neil, that was your starting quarterback in D.C. Oh, maybe it is D.C. with trouble, whatever. But man, you could have made the playoffs. We had a chance to make the playoffs. You were right in the thick of things. And instead, you threw it all away because you didn't want to deal with that. Instead, you were willing to deal with signing a player who was arrested for domestic violence not five years ago like Ray Rice, not eight months ago like Kareem Hunt. A guy that was arrested, Kareem Hunt was not, arrested for something that weak. That weak, Doc. That's the lengths they are willing to go to try to win a football game, not with somebody that kneels for something that he feels is extremely important. Which just demonstrates the hypocrisy that's going on. And like in what I said, they care more about the outside-the-line story. Correct. Correct. The outside-the-lines story, you know, and, and the ridiculous things. And it's sad because some things are, are, are just gotten ri- ri- ridiculous. And I guess, you know— I don't care that the guy who won the Heisman Trophy when he was 15 years old wrote bad 14! 13 years by, old! By the way, yeah. I bet he plays in the NFL next year. So I was actually just looking about that before we started the show. And um, Gil Brandt, famous scout, was saying that if he had to pick right now, he thinks Justin Herbert comes out as a top five pick. He thinks Dwayne Haskins ultimately comes out as well. And said, don't sleep on Kyler Murray coming out, despite his agent, Scott Boris, saying, I don't think so. Will he play in the NFL next year? That was, like, my thing. I don't know. So, I think he is, first of all, let's take a step back. Sure. Okay, again, is 
you and I are always counterintuitive here. We try to be. Okay, and, and try to be, 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 be different. Yes, baseball, if you make it, you have more sustainable income over a close time. Correct. However, not necessarily true in the quarterback position. You know, compared, it, 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 you know, it, it's definitely different in the wide receiver and stuff like that. Sure. Two, when you come out of college and how much baseball, and I've never seen Kyler Murray play baseball. I have no idea if he's not the world. My, Mike, Mike Trout or, 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 or anyone. I, 90, like as fast as you get to the major leagues from, from college baseball is usually a two to three year period of time. And that's time. as fast as possible. I mean, okay. we saw Bryce Harper come maybe a year and a half. So but yeah. now, but, but honestly, Bryce Harper was to baseball to some extent as a child legacy what Tiger Woods was to golf. Certainly. Certainly. Okay. Sure. Kyler Murray, we never heard his name. Until last year. Until last year. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Kyler Murray yeah. and every single person in America is going to be watching me play mm-hmm. Oklahoma against Alabama. Right. Do I want to be in a bus in Shreveport, Louisiana? That's a great point. Okay. I, I, I mean, I understand that $5 million check, but we're not talking about somebody that's going to get a pittance for going to play in the NFL. So are you going to leave 85,000 people cheering your name mm-hmm. when you're at the top of it to ride on a bus mm-hmm. in Single A ball because he's probably going single A. Yep. Unless because at best, of what's at go- best probably unless they're trying to push him along and he goes to double A, which could not be happening. a mistake. That's not okay. Happening. That's not happening. And, and let's face it, double A for the Mets is Binghamton. So would you would you rather be starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars on you know Sunday night football, or would you rather be in Binghamton playing against the? Um, you know, another team in the Eastern League, Scranton. Sure. Well, here's the question, though, that I don't know that you're answering. That answer is obvious, right? You want to be in the Jaguars, Sunday Night Football, the NFL, the most watched sport, be a starting quarterback, one of 32 in the NFL. That answer is easy. But if Kyler Murray, and I don't know the answer to this question, if Kyler Murray comes out because I want to play football, is he a first-round draft pick? Well, I think a lot of it is what happens against Alabama. Okay. Okay. And I think a lot of Baker Mayfield, we had the same conversations. Right. But Alabama is as good as litmus test as you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, Nick Saban coached in the pros. Yep. Okay. You know, what was it? Five of the five, five people on the Alabama team were first team All-American or yep. something like yep. that. She came out today. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about. Let's face it, if you calculate in the fact that not everybody on Oklahoma is a pro, yep. okay, and there is going to be a change in speed and a change in fitness. No doubt. But if he puts up 35 points sure. against the Alabama, Alabama defense, side, yeah. you'd have to say, okay, if he's tall enough to play against them, if he can find the lanes against them, I'd take a chance at him. And I I'm, think, not, I'm not saying I think you're wrong. That, you know, I think that right now there are more people that like Baker Mayfield than Josh Allen. And what I mean by sure. that is is the eye test on a football field means more than the potential. And what's probably interesting is in baseball, they're probably drafting him for his potential because I don't think he's ever set the world on fire. I no and idea. in football, he's... Look that up. He, you know, in football, he's actually lit the world on fire. So it's kind of interesting 
that in baseball, it's like he's this five-tool player. Um, you know, he's, he's like Kirby Puckett light, you know, or faster version of. Um, and they really, really like him. So last year, uh, this year I should say for Oklahoma, Kyler Murray batted 296 with 10 homers and 10 stolen bases. Not exactly. Well, well beating. OBP 398. So that's pretty damn good. Okay. Um, now, I don't know what kind of player Kyler Murray could turn out to be. I know what I do know was he's a first round draft pick, right? Top 10 okay. pick for Oakland. And the thing is. So I looked up last night. Yeah. The, of, of the 16 players picked ninth. Now, you can argue that he would have been better, but, you know, because you know of the football, status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Of the 16 players picked ninth. Sure. Not one of them was ever an all-star. Never? Never. In the, since 2000. That's crazy. Okay. So, you know, I think Boris is maximizing his value. As he should. Okay. I think Boris is sticking to the party line. But I just can't. See, especially if somebody who speaks about loving football. Now, if you take out the fact that, you know, he was saying, I'm concerned about playing football because I saw the movie Concussion, yeah. then why would he have gone back and played for Oklahoma for, for, for just giggles, okay, with nothing to prove? So I can't see any way that he – I think it's basically this way. If – his, the college football playoff is his audition. Yeah. If he comes through that audition with flying colors. He won the Heisman. Okay. He won the Heisman, but so did, you know, there have been a lot of players that have won the Heisman. Pat Sullivan won the Heisman Trophy. Okay. Okay. Pat Sullivan, Jason White won the Heisman Trophy from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, but more recently they've been better players. Um, and I just can't see how you turn down being in the spotlight to being in the equivalent of Binghamton with three, four, five years. But, but so we say this, obviously, because we saw him play. We have seen him play over and over and over again this year. And that's Kyler Murray, right? We've seen him and we're seeing him on the biggest stage possible against Arizona in the uh, Alabama in the college football playoffs. He may be a fantastic baseball player. But the predictability of college baseball players. Right. Okay. I hear you. The predictability of college baseball players, if you look up the best college baseball player in each thing, the predictability right. of going into the major leagues is at best a crapshoot. I hear you. Okay? I do. And, 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 you know, again, if he comes through, like I'm saying, okay, falls flat in his face and Alabama beats them 49 nothing, and, mm-hmm. you know, he looks absolutely terrible. Sure. Different ball game. Right. Okay. He 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 plays his butt off and is 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 a superstar. How do you turn that down? How do you turn the known down? Especially when you listen to him talk, he seems to love football. Oh sure, but is it but is it known? Is my thing. He lights the world on a fire against Alabama. Fine, they'll be nitpicks apart throughout the draft process as any quarterback is. Fine, there's no guarantee. It's not like it's guaranteed he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's not a guarantee. Well, you know, Baker Mayfield wasn't a starting quarterback in the NFL week one. Okay, but when you, you know, again, one of the most important things in being a starting quarterback in the NFL is the investment they make in you. Definitely. So, Definitely. so and, and in his particular case, it could be an investment because you have to give him capital to get him away from baseball, right. per se. Right. It, the, the bottom line is it's a shorter route to being on national television and being a Agreed. household name. Agreed. Okay. Now, you want to make the argument it's that a- he can walk away for a year and come back? 
and and you know that's interesting to me because I don't know the legalities of that. Do you go back right. and like if you don't apply to the draft, are you a free agent at any point in time and you can negotiate with anybody? Right. I don't know exactly how that works. You know, those are things that are beyond. But to me, my guess is unless he has a rough spot, which I don't anticipate because I think he's terrific, mm-hmm. he's going to be in the NFL. Now, you're right in that that is the quickest way to start him. And it's true. There's 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. People on the street don't know Mike Trout. That's true. He's the best baseball player in the world. Kyler Murray, if he becomes a superstar starting quarterback, people will know his name. And he will make more money from endorsements and so and such and like that. More guaranteed money in, in baseball, fine. If he, if he, if maybe it, not in the quarterback position. Maybe not in the quarterback maybe, position. Maybe not in the quarterback position. Maybe especially, not. you know, again, I'm not, you know, again, it only takes one fool. But I can't imagine somebody's going to pay Machado $300 million. You don't think so? Well, here's what I would say. If, if, if I'm the owner and I'm sitting there, okay, number one, I'd say you, you want him, pay him more for three, okay? Right. You can have him. Giancarlo Stanton signs with Miami, you know, $325 million. Mm-hmm. Does it look like a good contract? He's still in his prime, one year with him being in the Yankees. Yeah. What is that contract going to look at like, like, look like in the end? Okay. Bryce, Bryce Harper, okay, I think is – more of a transcendental, you know, more of a generational type talent, okay, at least in his biggest thing. But what's concerning about Bryce Harper is he might have had his worst year in his contract year. Sure. Okay. I I just wouldn't, I just think that these guys are just not sure enough. I'd pay him more short term. And if somebody wants to go out long term, say Levee. I mean, if, you know, really let them do it. I, I don't think any of those contracts... Perhaps the best of those contracts was the first Yankee A Rod contract. Most well, of that wasn't the Yankee one. That was a Ranger one, really. Yeah, two sixty ten for two sixty. Okay, but he probably played to that contract. Yeah, a, a, as much as A Rod's been a lightning rod. But when you look at the others, Albert Pujols hasn't played to that contract. No, certainly not. But okay. the different, little difference between Machado and Harper is he'll be thirty six at the end of it, not forty, not forty two. I, I, I grant you that. But but Machado, the Dodgers couldn't get him out of town fast enough. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. Okay, so you're going to spend three hundred million dollars, and 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 you know, again, I can't imagine people are this stupid. They're going to take it. They're going to want to meet with him for a day, you know, and that's going to be more important than watching him on the greatest stage. What happened? I mean, you're going to allow him to basically talk you into three hundred million dollars and a ten year guaranteed commitment. I mean. I certainly take his word. I'd certainly give him a chance, but I wouldn't give him three hundred million after watching what I saw. Also, besides the long ball that he hit that stayed in the ballpark, I thought he was an easy out when the game was on the line. I didn't think he, you know, I didn't think he made pitches work during the World Series. I, I mean, he, I can't. I didn't want. Is it fair to judge him over one series though? One no. stupid comment? No. 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 It's not fair to judge him over one series. Right. But, you know, one of the things that I've always thought about when I watched baseball Mm -hmm. is do I want this guy up when the game is on the line or do I want to pitch to this guy when the game was on the line? Right. So when, you know, I know the New York teams better than the, you you know, the other teams, David Wright could always be pitched to. Delgado never could be with okay. the game was on the line. Carlos Delgado, you're talking about. Talking about that. Right. 
Yet the stats would show you the other way if you look at it a year. How many of those stats come against you know the team's fourth and fifth starter? Who hits good pitching? Sure. On the Mets, Dan Murphy was the one who hit good pitching. Right. The problem that the Yankees have right now yeah. is I can't name their player. Now, Judge did it when he came back in the playoffs, well, but, my, but he's not consistent. Who hits good pitching? Aaron Judge can hit good pitching. Okay. Who hits good pitching consistently? That is a different subgroup than the people who hit three run home runs and hit 40 home runs, and they get that stat against the third and fourth starter. You know, the. You know, when, when, when the Mets needed to turn around Zach Grinke when he had the lowest ERA in baseball, Murphy hit the ball out of the ballpark. It wasn't Cespedes, okay? Same thing against Kershaw. Those are the type of players that I think in the postseason are essential. Mm-hmm. Alex Bregman of sure. Houston sure, is sure, an sure. example. You know, that guy is a tough friggin' out. Right. Okay? Yeah. Tough friggin' out with the game on, on the line. And, and I think... That's really what, what, what sets certain players certain players apart. For sure. That, that's a fact that you have that ability to fight. Fight through net bat. Fight through a battery if you're a pitcher. And I think it's a good time to bring up Patrick Corbin because we haven't talked since that happened. Patrick Corbin signed um, a six-year deal for $140 million. What did you think of that signing by Washington? I, I think that when I've seen Patrick Corbin uh, pitch, he's got a very, very violent slider. Yes, he does. That I actually think, you know, I think that you, again, look at the pitchers that have longevity. You know, I think Granke's a perfect example. Very efficient motion, multiple pitches. I think that when you, for example, you know, a bad comparison because he's been a great pitcher but frequently hurt, Leighton Kershaw. I think very, very violent motion, unbelievable pitcher. You know, can't hit him when he's when when he's right. But I don't think I'd be investing. Although he's smart enough to reinvent himself in in his, in, in in career, I think you see people like Max Scherzer. Sure. I mean, your classic, you know, um, Ver, Verlander. You know, Verlander. I think these are the guys that pitch into their career. The the lefties that are always throwing cutting sliders down. I think that the movement stops and it's too violent. That I think that they're going to be sorry on the back end of that contract. $140 million is a lot. Uh, six years is a lot for a guy, as you said, is a very violent slider. Um, that's what concerns me. His, his toughest pitch or his most um, used pitch is that slider. And, of course, one really good year. Now, the year before his Tommy John was very good. Um, last year, he was obviously a step above all of that. Um, that scared me a lot. And, and you know what? The Yankees wanted him, had the money, and I think, you know, sometimes we don't give some of these organizations credit. You, you know, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast, which he does a pretty good job, sure. and Bill Simmons said something fascinating. He goes, I don't know what the Celtics saw when they had Mark L. Falls in for two days, but they saw something, because he said every word, you know, on his inside connection is, this was their guy. This was their guy. They wanted him. And they had the number one pick in the draft, so right. why did why would they have to send out a smoke screen of, sure. about that? Sure, you know, and something soured them completely in that time. And I think that the Yankees wanted Corbin for next year. I think they wanted him for two or three, but and they I think they were willing to waste one, but they weren't willing to waste three years of money down the drain. I thought that I've seen both sides from Yankee fans. The side that 
are very frustrated because they are. I'm going to get to Brody Van Wagenen in, in a moment uh, from this, but the Yankees are in a win now mode, right? They've made the playoffs back to back years, and this is it. This, this team is is right now. And Patrick Corbin cost this team nothing but money, nothing at all, but no prospects. They have a rotation spot. It cost them nothing but money. And they, there are fans that feel, this is one side of it, there are fans that feel that they are being cheap. Being cheap in relative terms, obviously, but being cheap and not going out and getting, unquestionably, the best starter on the market this year. The Yankees felt, hey, we'll give them four years and 80-something million dollars. And they pushed it to five, and I don't care what the report said, they pushed it to five, and when he said, well, I'm getting six, they're like, well, we're not doing that. We're not investing six. They've only invested six years and two pitchers in their history. That's CC Sabathia and Mike Mussina. Both of those deals worked out very, very well for them. And both of them were very different pitchers. Very different pitchers, but both had to reinvent themselves in their own way. Right. But they worked out very well for them. Patrick Although Corbin, Mussina retired when he could still win games. Yes, 20 games last year as a starter, as a starting pitcher. Now, they felt Patrick Corbin, in I guess that four, five, six year, not worth that. Mm-hmm. And will really hamstring them later on. I'm of the belief, I'm in the other camp, that they feel, and maybe, I don't want to say I'm taking the Yankees' side, but I, I, I am. And they didn't feel it was worth the investment of $140 million. Again, I don't care, it's not my money, do whatever you want. But they didn't want to spend six years on this guy. And I don't look at Patrick Corbin, who at least around 30 years old, is that guy that you want to do that with. I, I get this is the team, this is the time, I understand all of that. And that's why you go out and make the James Paxton trade. I get it, that's fine. They don't want to spend six years and $140 million on this guy. Nathan Eovaldi was a disaster his first time in New York. And maybe he figured it out. Maybe he did. He was amazing in Boston this past year and Tampa before that. He's had two Tommy John surgeries already. And many people thought he would be better off as a closer. You're going to invest another $65 million in this guy? I don't think the guy was out there. So so now, as a Yankee fan, you're going to tell me, all right, so they got to go trade for a Kluber or a Trevor Bauer or something like that. I think they'll bring back Grinky. If he's willing to oh, come. I don't think they'll bring back Greinke. Greinke does not want to pitch in New York. That's what he says. He, 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 he might at this point in time. I, I mean, I, that was years ago when he, he, he left from, from, from the Royals. Um, and, and, I, and I actually think Greinke's the type of pitcher that will pitch to the end of his contract, even though there's a lot left on it. I agree with that. I agree with that because so, he, will not, he will not leave a dollar on the table, Zach Greinke. He'll so, tell you that too. Um, again, I, I think you've got to wait to see what the Yankees' finished product is. And I think that the Yankees, you know, Cashman wants to build a really, really strong bullpen. But what I think that the Yankees need when I watch the Yankees is um, I felt the Yankees last year were like an English paper that was lacking conjunctions. That, you know, when they were at their best, they had players like Willie Randolph, who managed the Mets, who were basically just rally extenders. Yes, of course. The 96, uh, 96 dynasty was all the same, the same thing. Yeah, rally extenders. I felt that the Yankees, you know, when you had Torres, you had Andujar, I I thought that they were a great stratomatic baseball team. Yeah. But they were not. When you watch the Red Sox play, they were a baseball team. They had conjunctions. The players played into each other. They had the running game. And I think, and I don't know this off the top of my head, but I felt that the Yankees would win big, would either score a lot or score too few. I think that, and that was always the problem that I felt with Sandy Alderson. Mm-hmm. Sandy Alderson, as a general manager, only played for the three-run home run and the pitcher that could strike out 13 batters. That was his game plan. Yeah. The problem is that against good pitchers, you're not going to get the three-run home run. And 
there is a role for small ball, as we saw the Red Sox and, for that matter, the Brewers play extremely well. And I think that the Yankees need to find some manner to be able to play some degree of small ball, which is very, very difficult. When you look at their outfield, Hicks has become a much better player than I ever thought he was going to be. But he is an all-or-nothing player. Okay, Judge is a slugger. Stanton goes through his weeks. Stanton is the best August hitter I've ever seen in my life. Okay, he 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 really truly is. I mean, I think that Andujar looked like he was a great hitter, but if you actually look, he never ever walks. No. Okay. Torres has a chance, and he's a phenomenal prospect, but he's not different than the rest of the people. Uh So. Where is the guy in their lineup? Now, Judge does it by taking walks and home runs who just moves the chain. And that's what I felt the Yankees' biggest problem is. Everybody else thought it was starting pitchers, but I think that the Yankees' biggest problem is against good pitchers. They just didn't have enough people that moved the chain. Yeah, and you said that at the time uh, as well. The Yankees are built not to necessarily move the chain, but to, to hit it out. And they didn't, and you pointed it out. It's good pitching. It's a lot harder to do that on a consistent basis. You, you look great on the days you do. Right. And, and you look really bad on the days, days you, you cannot. Don't. Now, I mentioned the Yankees are in win-now mode, and, and they are. And now with the trade that Brody Van Wagenen and the moves that he has made and this, the conversations that he has had over the past couple of months since taking over the position, it's clear he believes the Mets are as well. And I'm going to be honest with you, Doc. I agree with him. The pitching is there right now with Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler and Steven Matz, who throughout last season, maybe not Syndergaard, but the other guys pitched really well. For the most part, obviously, Degrom, and they the made seasons. most of their starts. Exactly, one of the best seasons we've ever seen of any pitcher in the history of baseball last year was Jacob Degrom. That's how good he was. Pitching's there now, and that seems to always be the hardest part to find. Is that core of pitchers? They have it, and this team put band aid after band aid on last year, and it didn't really work. But if they're going to compete, it has to be right now. Now, what surprises me about the trade with Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz? Is that maybe, and maybe it's because, not maybe, it probably is, because we're in New York, that everyone has referred to this as this Robinson Cano trade. It's not the Robinson Cano trade. You it's really out. two trades. It's really two trades. Exactly. It's, real, it's, really, it's, it's really two trades. Precisely. It's really, and so, se- se- several points. When I first heard it, I, I honestly thought what the, the Mets should have looked at it another way. They should have said, we're going to take your bad Robinson Cano tra- contract Okay, we'll spend more money. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. and we want Diaz to come back to taking that contract. Correct. In other words, I thought that the Mets should have made a Brock Osweiler trade. Okay, sure. But I think the Mets are too cheap to make a Brock Osweiler trade. In other words, we're going to take on Robinson's Cano's contract to do this. So essentially, what they did is they traded their bad contracts in Bruce and Anthony. Um, um, what's uh, the the reliever from the yeah, White? Warzak. Warzak, mm-hmm. who was just brutal last year, and and then they traded the Justin Dunn and their six their number one draft pick last year, the kid from from you know the the outfielder for Edwin Diaz. So it's two separate contracts: the Mets bad contracts for Robinson Cano, and the real question, you know, again, this goes to they want their professional hitter. Brody believes that Robinson Cano is still that professional hitter that's going to make the pitches work hard, that's going to take pitches, that's going to be able to hit the good pitches. Mm-hmm. And again, 
I haven't seen that many players at 35, 36 years old be able to keep their productivity. I guess Nelson Cruz has, which would be the sim- most similar comparison. Also somebody that was tarnished with some degree of, of steroids. And uh, Alex Rodriguez, who is very close to Robbie Cano, spoke glowingly when I heard an interview that he keeps himself in great, great shape. Um, the Mets went out and got their cl- closer that at least arguably is at the top of baseball. Now, with closers, you never know. Are you going to get four good years out of him, or is this a flash in, in, in the pan? But I think the Mets have no choice, as you said. You know, if they trade the pitching and they get the prospects, there's a good chance they never get the pitching back. So the Mets are playing it. Brody is playing it the only way he possibly can, which is to leverage his low minor league system. Right. To try to bring up enough to win. Now, do I think it's going to work as much as I'd like to? The answer is no, and I'll tell you why. Go right ahead. I think that what we've seen, what wins in baseball, is not who wins the winter meetings, but organizational depth. So when you look at teams like the Dodgers, who've been there every year, each year they're bringing up a rookie of the year candidate, you know, or a great young pitcher that strikes out. How many young players from Bellinger to Jock Peterson to the pitcher that was Bueller, the, the, you know, Walker the, Bueller, Walker Bueller mm-hmm. do they bring up on a regular basis sure. and, and even allowing them to make the Machado deal? The Mets don't have the organizational depth to trade Jeff McNeil. They had to take Jeff McNeil out of this deal because he is their brightest young bulb. So I think that what happens in a baseball season is the unforeseen and that you go through today eight, nine starting pitches, if you're lucky, okay, over the course of a year, Mm -hmm. and you go through so many players that I think that they don't have the organizational depth. I think that if everything breaks right for them, the answer is yes. But in 162 games... And a six-month season, I don't think it breaks right. And that's ultimately the question that Brody Van Wagenen and the New York Mets are going to have to answer this year and in the coming years. Can they get over the curve? Can they? And they've hired the right people, as you mentioned. They're hiring the right people, I think, both analytically speaking and scouting speaking. They're doing a really good job with that to try to replenish the system as they go forward in this window. It's can they get it right during the season? And the other thing that I always tell my kids, my, my, my son who played, is playing fairly competitive sports, is that the other kids and the other team practices too. Mm-hmm. So just because the Mets have gotten it wrong and now they're doing the right things to get it right does not mean that they're going to get it more right than the other 32 teams in right. baseball. Okay? Sure. You know, the Astros really worked in this and they really went to the head of the class and spent years doing something and really deserve a lot of credit. Um, But Brody's doing the right things. And you and I both said successful people have a better chance of being success. And I don't mean this as any sort of criticism. I just mean that when you're giving away your assets at the bottom, the assumption is like almost like having a balloon payment loan that you're going to make so much money, you're going to do so well in the future that you're going to overcome that loss. That assumes that they have to do it better than the other teams, and there's no evidence other than the fact that you're a fan, which means fanatic, to support that. Yeah, 
and I think that's completely, completely fair. Well, ultimately, like I said, when it comes to Brody and it comes to his staff and his team, we'll have to see what happens. Before we move off of baseball, Doc, I have to ask you, uh, the Hall of Fame Veterans Committee voted two players in last night, Lee Smith and Harold Baines. A lot of outrage today uh, over both of these candidates, particularly Baines, because Smith came close several times uh, in voting. Harold Baines never got past 7% um, in the voting, and he said, quote, he was shocked when he got the call that he was a Hall of Famer. How does this happen? Why does this happen? And how does he get in rather than guys like a Marvin Miller, a George Steinbrenner, Lou Pinello was one vote short? Uh, how does that happen? This is a popularity contest. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a simple answer. Forget about, you know, you know, they both played, you know, at the same, roughly the same time. Anybody in the world thinks Harold Baines better player than Albert Bell? I, I certainly don't. I mean, Albert Bell was, you know, you talk about people who you didn't want up, but was there a more corrosive personality than Albert Bell? Barry Bonds, maybe. That's all I got for you. Okay. So very, very thing. So number one, you can't have a baseball Hall of Fame and not have George Steinbrenner in it. It's it's a complete and it's a complete mockery that Pete Rose is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I feel the same way about the steroid guys too. Okay. Oh, and the steroid thing again. It, it was an era of baseball. It happened. We can't pretend it didn't. And and forget it. It happened because we wanted it to happen. Correct. Okay. This is like the retrospectoscope. This is like going back and saying, okay, these were bad apples. Okay. Imagine at that time you didn't take steroids. And everybody else on your team, it would be like you weren't, you, you weren't trying to win. You right. weren't trying to. Right. You weren't willing to sacrifice your body for the common cause. I mean, and, and, and sure. you know, again, as a society, we have judged. You know, I always go back to one of the most memorable moments that hooked me on sports my entire life was the 1970 basketball series between the Knicks and the Lakers. At that time, yeah. okay, and this is going to be really, really hard for younger listeners to, to, to grasp. Sure. Okay, the NBA championship was not only on, not on live television, okay, it wasn't on the internet. You had to listen to the radio, and Marv Albert was doing the game, and he announced that Willis Reed was coming through the tunnel after James Nicholas, right. who was one of the fathers of sports medicine, his, you know, at Lenox Hill, where, 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 where I work, injected his knees with cortisone. So where is the line between medicinal and performance enhancing? Sure. Okay? It's a very, it sounds like a simple line when you're on outside the lines, but it's a very blurry line in real life. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mark McGuire had, you know, things in his locker. Andrew was in his locker. Okay? Everybody knew this. Everybody cut into live television to watch Sammy Sosa play. And, you know, let's face it, because Bud Selig wanted to get into the Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. he decided to single out Alex Rodriguez sure. and make him the, you know, the pariah of Major League Baseball. You know, the whole thing was, you know, we have no idea who took steroids. We only know who's been accused of it. The whole thing is absurd. Okay, if you don't think there are players in the NFL taking performance-enhancing drugs, you're out of your cock-picking mind, okay? It, the NFL just does a better job of putting up with it and, 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 and giving the press what they want. And moving on, essentially. Moving on. Speaking of moving on, before we wrap up, I did want to ask your opinion um, about one more thing that, that kind of came to mind over the last couple of days, and that was 
Um, Chicago firing Chicago Bulls firing their head coach and Fred Hoiberg, uh, promoting Jim Boylan, uh, new head coach, and he basically this team has gotten destroyed in almost every game that he's coached. I believe they lost by fifty six in their last game, and they had back to back games, and he had a hard ass practice the next day, and the players basically threw a mutiny. Like, what this guy this guy is out of control, losing his mind. Hell, they players only meeting for hours. Then that came into a they, that turned into a team wide meeting. Boylan, of course, said, "Oh, everything's fine." And then it leaks out the players like went to the NBA PA saying this guy's out of his mind. They wanted the opposite of Fred Hoiberg, who's immediately going to go back to college basketball and be very, very successful. I'm sure, and a very good guy, by the way. Great guy from everything I've very heard. Very good guy. Great guy. Has, has had open heart surgery. Oh yeah, w- wonderful person. Had to leave the NBA for a little bit, came back, and people love Fred Hoiberg. Now you could say he didn't get a, a fair shot in the NBA, which you know I believe, and I think that's fair. But what do you make of the mutiny in Chicago? I make it that they don't like this guy. Sure. And you know the most important thing in leadership. It, well, I should change. I, like is the wrong word. You don't have to be like. Respect. Respect is the right word. They don't respect him, okay? And if they don't respect you. Now, it, it, it's like anything else. When you have a player's coach and it doesn't work, you hire a disciplinarian. When you have a disciplinarian, you hire a player's coach. And there is no one formula and there is no personality. And that's, and that's exactly what this team did, right? Fred Hoiberg was the ultimate player's coach. And going back to his first season, Jimmy Butler's like, this guy's not pushing us hard enough. And that was a major complaint of Fred Hoiberg. And, you know, the first thing, so what I, it, it's funny today, I, I had to interview somebody to potentially be our office manager. Okay. Okay. And w- what I told her was that it used to be that CEOs felt that they had a lot of people that worked for them. Now CEOs feel that they have they work for a lot of people. And what I need in an office manager is not somebody that cares about their evaluation from the people on top of them so that they can be promoted to the next level, but somebody who cares about their evaluation from the people below them because they're their representative and they're working to enhance their careers. And I think that that is the key to coaching. You can get away with an awful lot. Same thing in parenting. But your players have to believe that you have their best interests and you have their back, not your own. And as soon as they feel that you have your own and not theirs, it doesn't make a difference. Your message is not going to get caught. You, I've seen you know, coaches yell at, pati- patients, yell at players, okay, castate them. They can be tough. They don't care. They like to be coached. They like to work. They're competitive. But they have to know that you have their back, that you're not doing this for yourself, and you're doing it from them. And that's a very difficult thing to communicate. You lose that, you can't coach. So what I would say is these guys know this guy. Okay, There's something visceral already, and it's already over, and he lost that ability. They know he's in it for himself and not for them, and they're not going to tolerate. And that's a fantastic way to close today's show. There you go. What you need to do to be a head coach in professional sports. I thought Dr. Roslin uh, hit the nail on the head right there. Doc, it's been a fantastic show tonight. Uh, thanks for coming back. Welcome back. And, and let's do it again. Look forward to it. And, uh, you know, we look forward to all your comments. And be Absolutely. Glad, be glad to argue with us and tell us how stupid we are. Oh, please, please <laughs> bring all the comments, the questions, the tweets, all of it. 
That is Dr. Mitchell Rosen. My name is Greg Sossman. Thank you so much for watching and checking out Doc Jock here tonight on the Fantasy Sports Network. Listen, listen and watch anytime on demand. You can catch up on all of our old episodes as well. For Dr. Rosalind, I am Greg Sossman. Have a fantastic night, and we'll see you next time.